All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and uh, turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm so excited because it's Easter. I'm so excited because uh, we got to baptize. And I'm so excited. I have a clock. They, they blessed me with a clock for the front pew. Of course, you know I rarely pay attention to it. But our service is from 1045 until 12. And it, according to the clock, it is 920. So, buckle up. I was going to do a whole series on coming soon. We'll just knock it out today. No, um, but we're going to be looking, and I'll say more about that uh, as the uh, morning progresses uh, this morning, uh, get myself together. You know, you, you can't help but wonder, I mean, think about this. Did you know that, uh, did you know that more people will gather to worship today than any other day? On the calendar year. I know that's true in America. And it's probably true. Uh, all over the globe. But you can't help but wonder. Why would. What is it that's so special. Uh, why would people gather. Uh, on Easter Sunday or any Sunday. And uh, really to worship God. And, and I can't help but ask. But why. Uh, why, why are more people. Uh, motivated to read a book. That we call the Bible. And seek to pattern their life and to live their life based on what that Bible says. And why are people, you ever thought about why are people willing to make sacrifices to serve this Jesus or to serve God? You know, because, because there are people that, and they sacrifice time and they use their gifts and they sacrifice money and, and I can't help but wonder why are people willing to do that. And then while we're sitting here in the comfort of an air-conditioned church and celebrating and singing this worship and, and celebrating the, the, the baptism of new believers, while that's going on, all over this, this world in which we live, there are people who have named the name of Jesus and they are being persecuted. They are suffering for their faith. And I suppose that, that while we're here, there's going to be some people that will die. They will die because they believe. In Jesus Christ. And I can't help but wonder, why, why is it? What is it that makes people willing to do that? And, and the thing of it is, there was an event that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. There was a man called Jesus of Nazareth. He was a Galilean carpenter. You read about him in Sunday school, in vacation Bible school. When you were growing up, you read about him if you open your Bible. But, but history tells us, and the Bible tells us, that, uh, that he was... He was betrayed on that, that Easter weekend, that Thursday night. He was betrayed, then he was arrested. He was ultimately tried, uh, wrongly, falsely convicted. Uh, he was mocked. He was scourged. Uh, they marched him up uh, the Via Dolorosa to Calvary's Hill, the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they nailed him with spikes to a, to a cross that's not unlike the one that you see behind me. And on that Good Friday, he was crucified there uh, to pay for your sins and for my sins. And the Bible says they took him down off the cross that evening uh, before Passover. Uh, they, they laid him in a borrowed tomb. And on that Sunday morning, he was resurrected from the dead. And we're here today living testimony that indeed uh, the resurrection was a real, is a real event. Um, and so, but my question this morning is, now obviously the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it, it is the most significant event 
that has ever happened in the history of the world. And the cross is the most polarizing uh, symbol uh, in the world. You know, people don't care what you believe. They don't care uh, what religion you are. They don't care if you believe in God or if you don't believe in God. But when you bring up the name of Jesus, people get all worked up. And when you bring up the cross, because it is it is polarizing, because it's the most significant event in the history of humanity. As a matter of fact, uh, the birth of Christ split time in two. We have we have B.C., which we think of uh, before Christ, and then we have A.D., and, you know, I, always, I didn't know any different. Growing up, I thought it meant after death, but that's really not what it means. Um, it means Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of our Lord. And so, literally, the, 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 the life of Jesus split time in two. And so it's the, it's the most significant event that has ever happened. And so he died, he was buried, he was resurrected. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, listen, uh, let me just read from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, the, the gospel uh, as Paul proclaimed it. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared um, to more than 500 of the brothers. And so after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to more than 500. And listen to what Paul says. He says, um, many of them are still alive. Now, some have fallen asleep, but many are still alive. And really what he was saying is, if you want to check it out, you can ask. Because it really happened. And then he says that he appeared uh, to James and all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. And so what I want you to understand this morning, what I want to kind of guide our thoughts this morning, is just think about this. Jesus died. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was resurrected on that first Sunday. He uh, he. Uh, came back to life, he ascended into heaven, and and that is what we think about at Easter, and it's what we think about. In fact, if people, if if you were to ask somebody, what is what makes Christianity different than any other religion? The the difference in Christianity is our prophet, our hero, our leader, our God died, but he was raised again. Now that's the defining difference. Uh, Muhammad's still dead. Confucius is dead. Buddha's dead. Joseph Smith's dead. Are we going down the list? They're all dead. But Jesus is alive. But is that all there is? The question I want to wrestle with this morning, and we never get to this at Easter. We, we sing, up from the grave he arose with a mighty, mighty triumph over his foes. We say that this morning. And we think about that. But is that all there is? I mean, did Jesus just rise up from the dead, say, hey, believe in me, you'll go to heaven one day, and and I'm gone, and ascend into heaven? Is that the end of the story? Well, I want to submit to you this morning, that is not the end. As a matter of fact, equally defining and maybe more amazing than the resurrection is that the same Jesus that went up, as we'll see in just a moment, is coming back. Let's read about it. Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 6. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word 
as we read this morning. Set this up. Luke, the physician, is writing this. He's convinced in Theophilus what's happened. Jesus has just given some instructions. In verse 6, after Jesus gives them instructions about the Holy Spirit, uh, Luke says, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, the disciples want to know, Jesus, are you going to, are you going to be president of the kingdom? And if you are, we want to be a part of it. That's what they wanted to know. But listen to what Jesus said. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then watch this. After He had said this, after He had said this, He was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly, when suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. To heaven. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of God's word. Jesus is going to come again. Do you ever think about? Uh, do you ever think about the second coming of Christ? I mean, does the return of Christ and in the end of the world ever occupy your thoughts? I mean, when you, when you open a newspaper or you go to a internet news site and, and you read about the unrest in Libya and we got war in Libya and we got war in Afghanistan and we got war in Iraq and, and Egypt's all messed up and, and Saudi Arabia don't know what they're doing and, and everywhere over there in the Middle East and all those kingdoms, all those places that surround Israel and you read about all that and you see all the unrest and you see all the peace and nobody has an answer and nobody has a solution. Does it ever occur to you that maybe what the book says is starting to come true. When you look around the world in which we live and you see the political, the social, the economic chaos that we're in here in America and literally all over the world in this global economy in which we live, does it ever occur to you that, that maybe what the Bible says is going to happen is beginning to happen? And when you read about earthquakes and, you know, all that stuff, and you look at this tsunami that happened just a short time ago in Japan, and, and then when you look back a couple of years at the one that happened a few years ago in, in uh, South Asia, and you just see all these earthquakes and all this stuff that, that Jesus talked about and said, hey, in the, in the last times, this is going to happen. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be disasters and all these things. When you look at that, when you hear it, does it ever occur to you that maybe what it says is beginning to come true. Does it stir your heart? If you're a believer, some of you are going, man, it excites you because you think, man, the day when I see Jesus, the day when I stand before Jesus, man, it is closer now than it's ever been. Man, I, I am looking forward. One day He's going to part the heavens. He's coming. Man, what a day that's going to be. Huh? Do, do you think about that? Or, or maybe, or maybe you look at that and you think about the second coming and you go, wow, I don't know if I understand that. I don't know if I'm ready for that. 
And for some of you, the very thought of the end of the second coming and the end of times, it's a scary thing because if, if you were to die today, you wouldn't go to heaven because you're not ready. And so, and so as we think about this whole idea, I want us to think about, man, what's going on in the world around us because I'm just, I just believe that we're closer now than we've ever been to when Jesus comes again. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say it's going to happen next week or next month or next year. I'm just telling you, I've read the book and I've looked around and, uh, hey, this thing is moving on. And so, but what happens is, I think for most of us, particularly those of us who are, who are believers, now if you're an unbeliever, I don't expect you to sit around and think about the second coming. You, you don't even know who Jesus is. So you, you really don't spend a lot of time reading this book. I don't really expect you to know that. But if you're a believer in Christ, I'm kind of wondering, does it kind of stir your heart a little bit? But see, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking for most of us who name the name of Jesus, we just, you know, we're going about living our life and doing our thing. And we just believe, you and I, we just believe that, hey, I'm going to live to a ripe old age. I'm going to raise my kids and I'm going to raise my grandkids and, and, and America's going to get better and better and everything's going to be good. And one day I'm going to die. And when I die, you know, I'm just going to go to heaven. And that's the way we think about it. But has it occurred to you that it could happen in, in these next days that Jesus could indeed part the heavens and he could come back again the same way that he left the first time? Well, this morning, I want to begin a series of messages called Coming Soon. And for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be talking about the different subjects that relate to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, it's going to take us quite a while. I'm going to talk about a few of the things today, but it's going to take us quite a while to get through there. And I would just encourage you maybe just to mark on your calendar between now and the next five or six weeks. You really want to come. You want to hear what's going to happen uh, in, in the days ahead because you and I want to be ready. Now, let me tell you what happened kind of uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, a year and a half ago, I had the privilege of going to a prophecy conference. And uh, I'm not big on prophecy, you know, these prophecy you know, preachers or whatever. But I went to this prophecy conference. It was hosted by Jerry Vines. And uh, you probably don't know Jerry Vines, but he was a uh, Wonderful pastor. He was at the First Baptist Church in Jacksonville for a number of years. He was president of our Southern Baptist Convention. Great preacher, man of God. And he hosted this conference titled the a positive view of the pre-trib, pre-millennial uh, uh, coming of Christ. And so I went to this conference and of course Jerry Vines was the host and they had five seminary presidents and professors, really, I mean, bright, brilliant, smart people. And then they concluded the conference with an evangelist named Junior Hill. And gosh, he's a, he's a treat to hear. But, but if, for those of you who don't know, I'm an Aggie and our mind, my mind isn't real big anyway. But when I went to this conference with, you know, for a day and a half, these brilliant Bible scholars take God's word and begin to unpack all the stuff that's going to happen at the end. And man, my, you know, it just stretched my little mind. And it challenged my little heart. And so what I want to do for the next few weeks is I want to share with you uh, some of what I've been learning, I learned then, and what I've kind of been learning over my years. I don't have all the answers. Don't pretend to have all the answers. But what I do know is that you and I need to be ready. As a matter of fact, there's a verse in 1 John, and it's such such an important verse. 1 John 2, verse 28. Uh, John writing to Christians. Listen to what he says. And now, dear children, continue in him... So that when he appears, not if he appears, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed 
before him at his coming. As your pastor and as your friend, the thing I want for you more than anything else, I want you to be ready for him when he comes. I want you and me to be able to stand in the presence of the king of the universe and be confident and unashamed. So over the next few weeks, starting today, we're going to unpack some some stuff about the second coming. And if you'll listen and learn and apply this to your life, I believe you'll be ready when he comes. So let's go. Three thoughts I want to share out of our text today, uh, out of our passage there. Let's kind of jump in. First of all, when we look at that passage, there is a person, when it comes to the second coming and the end time, there is a person uh, to be looking for. Now, the disciples were looking at Jesus. If you look there in verse 9, the NIV doesn't treat this extremely well, but it says, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. In other words, he finished speaking and they, ju- and, and they just saw him. The, the word in the original language means to see with the eyes. They just saw him go up. And so that was kind of the first. They, they were looking at Jesus and they saw him go. Well, then down in verse 11, there's another word for to look or to see. Notice there at the first part of verse 11, it says, Men of Galilee, uh, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, that doesn't just mean to see with your eyes. That word in the original uh, sometimes was used of a medical doctor for somebody that had this dazed, glazed look. Have you ever watched in the, in the NFL and the football games, old boy will get a concussion and he'll be over there on the sideline and he'll just kind of be sitting there and they're moving around here and he's just, he's got a deep seat and a faraway look. I mean, you've seen that? The word there, when when Jesus went up, and the clouds hit him, they were just standing there, perplexed. Matter of fact, the text says that the angels snuck in, and they're standing there dumbfounded. And the angels say, hey, men of Galilee, why are you, look, why are you standing there with this gaze, dazed look on your face? And then let's read on the end of verse 11. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Now, there's another word to see, to look, a different word. The first one means to see with your eyes. The second word means to kind of be dumbfounded. This one means to see with your eyes and to perceive and understand. And so in in this little section of Scripture, all of a sudden, the disciples began to perceive and understand that the Jesus they were looking at that just left was coming again. There is a person that you and I need to be looking for. Now, the difference of Christianity, we talked about the uh, the resurrection of our Savior, or Lord, prophet, teacher, whatever you want, however you want to look at that. Now, obviously, uh, that is a defining difference. But let me say this also. Christianity is not a religion. It's not about a religion. Christianity is about a person. There's a person that's going to come back. And he's going to come back for his people. And so it's a personal thing. And, and so we're looking for someone to come, not an angel, but the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Hebrews, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews. We're going to look at a couple of verses. But in Hebrews uh, 
chapter 13, verse 8, this is what it says about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, this person, this person that you and I are looking for, man, he is, he is the one. As a matter of fact, Jerry Vines said this. He said that this person, Jesus, that left and is coming again, dominates every dimension of time and space. Jesus was yesterday. Jesus is today. And Jesus is forever. What that means is Jesus is the God of yesterday. He was born of a virgin, lived a virtuous life, died a vicarious death. That means he died a death in your place. When Jesus died on the cross... He died as a substitute for you and for me. So he died this vicarious death. Then he, he was raised victoriously from the grave. I mean, he, Jesus is the God of yesterday. He is the God of yesterday. He said before Abraham was, I am. So way back when, Jesus was God. But the Bible also says there that Jesus is the God of today. Not only did he die yesterday, not only did he do all that yesterday, but Jesus is the God of yesterday. If you go back to, to Hebrews, turn back to chapter 7, you may say, well, what's Jesus doing today? If he's the God of today, we know what he did back then. You said he's coming again one day. What's he doing now? Look at Hebrews 7. Listen to verse 25. Well, let's pick up verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever... He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, now listen to this statement. Listen to this statement. This sort of, this sort of uh, comfort your heart. Therefore, he is able to save completely. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Let me just say, let me just stop here for a minute and say this. Now, some of you here, I know some of you here this morning, you've, you have given your heart to Jesus, but you, in your daily walk, man, you are struggling. You, there, there's just stuff that's from your past. And you go, I cannot believe that I did that. I, I, why? I can't imagine. How could that have happened? And, and, and day to day, you just wrestle and you struggle. Because you go, I, man, I don't know. If, could Jesus really forgive that? Is this, is, is this okay? I don't, I'm not sure that he could take care of that. But notice what, the Bible says that he is able to save completely. Matter of fact, the English Standard Version says he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And so what that means, he, he, listen to this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't even matter what you've done. Jesus can forgive you, cleanse you, save you, and change you, and it'll last forever. I mean, that's, that's the Jesus, that's the one we're looking for. Why under heaven would you not want to give your heart to somebody that gave his life for you, and can take away and forgive any sin you've ever done. Can take away the guilt of anything you've ever done. Man, we are looking for... He's the God. He's still saving people. Listen, today, Friday night, we had this service in here. Man, you should have been here Friday night. Because you missed it. And I need to say, and I know they're not here. Those ladies, uh, Rosario and Leah and... Um, 
Liz Manis and some uh, and Dan and Kyle. Man, they did they set up this great event. You know, we had this thing where we come through, but we talked about the death, the burial, the resurrection, the whole event of Jesus, and we preached the gospel. We we actually read the gospel and we talked about how Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins. And at the end of our service, one of our men, in fact, he was here in the early. In fact, he's right back here. Chris came and said, "Hey, I need to give my life to Jesus." Listen, I want to tell you, Jesus is. Hey, listen, he's saving people today. Now, he did all this yesterday. He's the God of yesterday. But Jesus is saving people today. As a matter of fact, he wants to, if you're not born again, He wants to save you today. Today. But the author of Hebrews said He's not just the God of yesterday. He's not just the God of today. But He's the God of forever. I mean, if you hitch your wagon to Him... It's going to last forever. I mean, it's one thing to know that everything I've ever done, every mistake I've ever made, He can forgive all that. But then I'd be with Him forever? Forever. He is the God of forever. They were looking, they were looking at a person. We need to be looking for a person. One day he's going to split the heavens and he's coming. But there's another thought. Not only that, uh, there is, not only is there a, a, a person to look for, but there is a promise that we uh, can lean on. Look in our text in Acts. If you'll notice there, the, men, the angel said, Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. You have seen him go. He is coming back. I don't know what's happening in your life. Maybe your marriage is all messed up. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe your finances are all messed up. Maybe your health is, is you know, you, you, maybe your whole world's turned upside down. I, I just want to tell you, you can lean on this promise. He is coming back. He is coming back. Luke said, or the angel said, the same Jesus, the, the one you saw fly, he is going to come again. We'll look at this in a couple of weeks, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, I think it's verse 17, it says, the Lord himself will descend. Jesus isn't sending some messenger to get us. He's not going to say to Gabriel, Gabriel, go get him. One day what's going to happen is the Lord God of heaven is going to say, Son, go get your children. And Jesus is going to tiptoe across the universe from, from galaxy to galaxy to galaxy. And he's going to, he's going to come down that stairway from heaven. And he's going to step down onto earth and he's going to call out his children. He is going to come. The same Jesus that went is coming back. But he's also coming for the same people. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about it. What about them? You say, well, he, if he's coming for them people, they're dead. Sure they are. But the Bible talks about how he's going to raise the dead. As a matter of fact, they're going, if we're still here, they go before we do. But that's coming up. Same Jesus, come for the same people. But Dr. Vines also noted that he's, he's going to come to the same place. Do anybody remember, uh, anybody listen to country music? Oh, y'all can fess up. It's okay. 
Tanya Tucker used to have this, this song, When I die, I may not go to heaven. Texas is as close as I've been. And, and, and a lot of people think, well, Jesus is just going to come to Texas. Because Texas is it. But I need to tell you, he's not coming to Texas. He left from the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says in, Ze- in Zechariah chapter 14 that he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. And when he lands on the Mount of Olives, it's going to be split in two. I think one half goes north and one goes... And you can read about it in Zechariah chapter 14. But he, he's... Same, same Jesus, come back to the same place, and he's going to be Lord forever and ever and ever when he comes. Man, that is a promise to lean on. See, I don't know what's happening in your life. You, you don't know what's happening in my life. Hey, God never promised us that everything's going to be peaches and cream. Hey, Jesus, listen, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. We think every one of the disciples was martyred. Now, we think John probably survived. And, but listen, God's not said it's going to be, life's going to be a piece of cake. But he said, I'm coming to get you. And you need to be ready when I get there. So take heart. This too shall pass. And when it does, if you're a believer, you'll spend forever with Him. Another thought I want us to look at, there's a, uh, a promise to lean on, a person to look for. But really, this is what I want to preach about today. There is a purpose to live by. You know, when those old boys, when those old boys saw Jesus go into heaven, and when the angels said, hey, He is coming back, and when they, when they got their hands around that deal... They couldn't go back to business as usual. Their, their life changed. Now church, when, when we believe, when we really believe that Jesus came and He's coming again, we can't really go back to doing things the way we used to do if you say, well, you know, Christ lives in my heart. I, I, I've met Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I think Jesus is going to come. If, if that's your testimony, and yet you're living the same old way you used to live, that really doesn't measure up. Because these old boys, I'm just telling you, man, they, when, when they encountered Christ, when they knew He was coming back, man, their life changed. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, Acts 1. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives. Now you say, that don't say it, that don't tell me a whole lot. Well, Luke also wrote Luke's gospel. And in the very last of Luke's gospel, chapter 22, or excuse me, chapter 24, verse 52. Well, verse 51 says, while he was blessing them, he left them and he was taken up. Same, same scenario. Then, look at this. Then they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now, this is, here's the thing. And listen carefully. When you really believe that Jesus came, lived, died, was resurrected, ascended, and you really believe that He's coming again, it, it will affect the way you worship. <laughs> 
These guys begin, I mean, they, they begin to worship differently. And when you really, but see, I, I believe in the church today, now this is just kind of philosophical, you can take it for whatever it's worth, but I think corporately when you look at the church, I'm not talking about First Baptist Wimberley, I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about Baptists, I'm talking about when you look at the church, and you look at the lack of uh, inspiration there is for public corporate worship, for gathering with the body of Christ, it's hard for me to imagine that we really, really believe Jesus is coming again, and it's really hard to believe that we think he's coming soon because it would change the way you worship. Did you know the Bible says in Hebrews ten twenty five that we are not to forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing? And yet in our culture, in our day, many people who are believers... They are indifferent about whether or not they go to church and worship or not. lady was cutting my hair the other day, and so I was talking to her about church and inviting her to Easter. And she says, well, you know, I believe. I just, I just don't believe you need to go to church to, uh, you know, to, to, to believe in God. Well, sh- sure you don't. But you, you do need to, to be obedient to Jesus. I mean, did you know that Jesus... Died, the one organization Jesus died for is his church. You'd be surprised the reasons I've been given over the years of why people don't come to church. I mean, I, I, y'all, this is honest. I've had people come, you know, back in the old day, we had church in a family worship center. By the way, one of my friends is here. Jill's back here. She used to be in Georgia with me and now she's in Louisiana, but she's visiting. But anyway, we, we had this family life center. Man, there was just, there was kind of, there was two ways in and two ways out. And if you didn't go by, if you didn't want to climb the steps, you had to go by the preacher. But I had, this lady comes out one day and she says, brother pastor, I'm not going to be here next Sunday. She said, I have company coming and I'm going to stay home and I'm going to cook for them. And I wanted to go, really? I mean, there's a Cracker Barrel right across the interstate. <laughs> now, think with me for a minute. Now, just think with me. If you were here two weeks ago, we talked about it. If, if, if not, you should get this, go online and listen to this message. We talked about the judgment seat of Christ, which means that one day, every one of us who are believers, one day, every one of us, we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And we're going to give an account of our life. Now, he, we're not going to stand there and he say, well, you sinned, you're going to hell. We, he's going to audit and evaluate everything that we do. Can you imagine you're, that you'd have to stand before Jesus and he said, well, why weren't you committed uh, to being a part? Why were you not committed to worship? Can you imagine what it would be like to say, I had to cook for my family. Now, here's what's ironic. Oftentimes, now listen to this, oftentimes we have family that aren't believers and they're not walking with Jesus and they come to see us and we say, well, we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to go to church. We're not going to honor the Lord. We're going to go hang out with them. We, we can understand why they're lost and don't want to serve our Jesus. And yet we don't live with Jesus as a priority. 
But it's, that verse says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in their habit of doing, but all the more, but even more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the closer it gets to His coming, the more faithful we ought to be. But we go to the lake, we go to the ball field, we go, we stay home and cook. We, I mean, we got every reason under the sun why we don't want to come and worship corporately and assemble together with the believers. And I, and I just want to tell you, based on what the Bible says, when you, when you realize who Jesus is and that He's coming again, it affects your worship. It just does. But there's another uh, way that, another purpose that it affects. I want to talk secondly uh, about how it affects your work. And, and here's, these disciples, they went back to Jerusalem. They gathered in that upper room, uh, and we can read on about that in the rest of uh, Acts chapter 1. And uh, they gathered together. And they began to pray. And, but Jesus had told them, Jesus said, you need to go and you need to wait. And the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then I want you to go and do my business. And so they went back and they waited. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them in power. And, and in Acts chapter 2, they began to go out and to preach. And the whole book of Acts is a record of the work that they began to do because they knew Jesus was coming again. Man, when you read the book of Acts, it is amazing. The preachers preached, the teachers taught, the prayers prayed, the givers gave, the missionaries went to missions. I mean, you just read, man, they did all kind of stuff. Man, they preached and people would get saved by the thousands. Man, they prayed and people would rise from the dead. They prayed and people would be healed. They prayed and people would get out of jail free. I mean, they... They, they didn't give a tithe. You read in the book of Acts, you read the end of Acts chapter 4 and the beginning of Acts chapter 5. They didn't give a tithe. Man, they went and sold their land. They went and sold their houses. And they said, listen, Jesus, here's the money. Jesus is coming. Hey, do something with it. And then they, and they, and the deacons, they served. And you read on in the missionary. Do you, do you know what it says about the missionaries? They went to one place and they said, oh, no, the people that turned the world upside down, they come here. Man, they went to work. I mean, they preached and they prayed and they gave and they served and they went missions and, and they healed and they raised people up from the dead. I mean, they worked because Jesus was coming. How about you? How much work are you doing for the kingdom? Our generation, I use that loosely. I'm almost, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm almost a baby buster, but I'm a boomer. I'm an old guy. But I think about, you know, but I got young kids, so that kind of makes me fit in there. But our generation, and we don't, we don't serve God like the generations before us. And we don't. But when they believed Jesus was coming, man, they went to work. When they, when they really believed Jesus was coming, man, they went to worship. And there's one other thought that uh, Dr. Francis pointed out that is so compelling. If you, if you look at Titus chapter 2, and, and uh, I'm going to meddle a little bit on this one and then we'll move on. Listen to 
to Titus chapter 2, verse 12. Talking about grace. Verse 11 talks about the grace of God. But verse 12, it says, It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we, look at this, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we really believe it, that He's coming, it affects what we do while we're waiting. And the Bible says there that the grace of God teaches us to say no to worldliness, ungodliness, and sinfulness. And yet when you look across the church, across the the nation, you wonder. Because we're... We, in Christian circles, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of difference in the way we live and the way people that aren't Christian live. I mean, there's not a whole lot, and, and I, I, I don't want to offend you, but there's not a whole lot of difference in the divorce rate in the church as there is the divorce rate in the world. There's not a whole lot of difference in how many men that name Christ uh, look at pornography than how many men that don't name Christ. There's not a lot of difference in, in, in how we give and spend our money between us. I mean, there's just not. And I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. We were at a little event last week. I'm not even going to tell you where it was. We were at a little event last week, a big barbecue. You know, everybody's having a big time. And there's a church there. They got a little. They present a, put up a little deal for the kind of serving their community or whatever. And so they, they, uh, they got the deal out there and they, they packed it away and they, they got the pickup and the trailer hooked up. It's got the name of the church and you know they've been serving this group of people. And then they, you know, and we just happened along because we knew a person there. And, and then the people packed the stuff up. They went over, uh, got the name of the church, got a trailer with a church name. They go to the truck, pop out a cold pack, and they begin to sip long necks. And I'm thinking, you came here to say we're different than the world. But you're the same. And I think too often when people look at us, we're the same. And Jesus called us to be different. It says the grace of God teaches us to say no to worldly passions and ungodliness while we wait for the blessed appearing. Now, I may have stepped on your toes, but I'm just, I, I, I believe this is true. I don't know that one of us would want to be called up to cry. You know, when Jesus comes and calls his church home, I don't want to be standing there with a long neck. Now, you might be saying, I'll drop it. <laughs> but the Bible says he's coming in the twinkling of an eye. That's not a wink. I mean, 
Y'all, we, we're going to stand before him one day. We are. He's going to audit your life. While we're waiting, we should be living for him. We've got a purpose to live for. We've got a person to look for. We've got a promise to lean on. Let me just wrap this up by saying this. John, the one of, you know, I've been all over the board, but John, the apostle, wrote the Revelation. You may have read Revelation. He wrote about the seven churches and the seven lampstands and you know, the seven messengers and the seven seals and the seven bowls. You know, he wrote all of that. And we'll look at some of that over the next few weeks. But he talked about uh, he talked about the tribulation. He talked about the second coming. He talked about the battle of Armageddon, the great white throne judgment, the millennial reign. He, he just talked about it all. Jesus kind of downloaded all this stuff to John and in, in this vision that he had when he was caught up to heaven. And then, and then Jesus, at the very end of the book, at the very end of the book, the last chapter of the whole Bible, Jesus, there, there's 20 odd verses, and Jesus made three statements that are so, so important. In Revelation 22, listen to verse uh, six and seven it says the angel, and I'm just going to read it from up there. The angel said to me, "These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent His angel to show His servants the things that must soon take place." Next verse: Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the prophecy in this book. Then down in verse twelve. Listen to what Jesus says. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what is done. And then down in verse 20, it says, I've got verse 20. He who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The last chapter of the last book of the whole Bible, Jesus said, I'm coming soon. John, you need to tell him, I'm coming soon. John, tell him. I'm coming soon. Now, Jesus is going to come soon. We don't know when, but we know it's closer now than it's ever been. And when he comes, it's not just going to be soon. It's going to be really, really quick. Watch the video. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good.
said he was coming. And when he comes, it is going to be that quick. And if you're not ready, you're going to spend eternity separated from God. Now, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get ready. And some of you here this morning, you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Him. Will you do it today? Will you give your heart to Jesus today? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. I'm going to ask that you not leave. We're not finished. But if you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I want to be very pointed. I want to be very personal. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, why not give your heart to Him today? Why not be willing today to stand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to open my heart to Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that? If, if you need to give your heart to Christ, would you be willing just to stand where you are and say, I, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to do that today. Anyone here this morning? You, Jesus hung on a cross for your sin. Are you willing to give your life to Christ? Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to do that today? Now the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My hope is that this morning you'd be willing to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come live in your heart and be born again. Would you pray this prayer? Would you say this prayer to Him? It is just in your own heart, all over the auditorium. If you're not a believer, would you say to Jesus, Jesus, I know you died for my sin. Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and forgive my sin. Jesus, I want you to be ready. And I want to be ready when you come. So come live in me and forgive my sin. And give me a brand new start. Friend, the Bible says if you'll pray that prayer, if, if, or, or one like that, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You'll be saved and you'll be ready when he comes. Now I want to say a word to those of us who are believers, because many of us who are believers here this morning, our life doesn't quite line up with what we believe. Matter of fact, Jesus said to the church in Revelation 3 at Laodicea, He said, you're neither cold nor hot, but you're lukewarm. But because you're lukewarm, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Some of you here this morning, you're lukewarm. You, you know it and God knows it. Some of you, other people know it. And I wonder if you'd be willing to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm lukewarm, but starting today, I want to live for you for the rest of my life. And if you're a believer and you're not quite living up to what God wants you to live, I, would you be willing to stand and 
right now and say, you know what, Jesus, I, I want to live differently. Would you be willing to stand up and say, you know, Jesus, I, I'm not living the way you want me to live. I'm lukewarm. Would you be willing to tell him that? There are others. Are there others? I, I'm not quite what I want to be. Because I want to pray for you. Over the auditorium, are there others? You're not, you're, you're just not quite what what God wants you to be. Honestly. As God searches your heart. Are there others? Father in heaven, we know that one day you're going to send him and we are desperate to be ready. And God, I pray. I pray for those who have stood to say, I'm not what I want to be, but I'm going to be. This day forward, I'm going to live for Jesus. Others have stood and said, I want Christ to come live in my heart. I want to be born again. And God, I pray that you would show yourself mighty in their life and that you would be true in their heart. God, that you'd use them in a great and awesome way. Father, I pray as we have this time of commitment this morning that you would have your will and your way in every person's heart, in every person's life. And we'll give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name.